So in 2 Timothy, and like I said, we're going to begin actually in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, just to kind of finish out that chapter. But last week uh, we had talked about uh, our lesson from there, and today I would like to talk, call this lesson today Prepared for Battle. How many knows that when you walk with Christ and you live for God, there's a battle going on, a spiritual battle, amen. So the Lord is showing us here today through this and, and kind of like what He was showing Timothy at that time, is to be prepared for battle. And so as we begin to get ready to begin this lesson, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at it today and, and help us to understand and, and look at it and, and let it train us for what we're dealing with in our world right now. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. God, we give you thanks for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Who can describe it, Lord, the goodness of Jesus Christ going to a cross dying on it for our sins, and dying in our place. But hallelujah, on the third day raising from the dead, that we may have hope, God, for eternal life with you forever in heaven. We give you thanks for that today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you help us today as we read your word. Lord, as we expand upon your word today, give us the ability to do that. Lord, that the hearers may be enlightened and understand. We pray that those will hear, that will have eyes to see and ears to to hear and hearts, Lord, and minds that would understand what the Word says to us today. We ask it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, let's talk about what it means to be prepared for battle. Uh, remember, as we began last week, uh, uh, Timothy was being written this letter from the Apostle Paul who was imprisoned in Rome. And the first uh, epistle of Timothy, the first letter that he wrote to Timothy, kind of had a little bit different tone. Uh, it was more of an encouragement and all this kind of thing and then guidance and instruction. But at the time he had had to write this second one, a little time had passed. And, and I truly believe that the way that this is going and the way it flows, I really do and a lot of scholars think that this may have been the actual last letter that Paul wrote that we have recorded in the Bible as uh, far as timeline-wise. And I really can start to see now that how uh, its tone changes a little bit and he starts to prepare Timothy for a future without him being in it. He starts to tell Timothy, look, you know, I, I may be ready to be poured out like a drink offering here. It's, this may not end well for me, but I want you to continue on and I want you to remember the things I've taught you. So that's kind of what it's talking about. As he's teaching T Timothy, these are the things you need to do to be prepared because you may have to face these things without me. My time may have come and gone. So in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 15, let's read those together. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know how, and you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Or in other words, when he was still not imprisoned and was able to go to Ephesus and help the church there. And Paul is making Timothy aware of his situation. And like I said a minute ago, he begins to express to Timothy that Timothy may have to go on without him. And he wants him to be prepared as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And therefore, that's the title of our lesson today, Prepared for Battle. There's a battle raging in the spirit realm. There's a battle raging in the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness. Amen. And we see it happening in a lot of things in life. And we can't fight those battles naturally. We'll never win them. You know, they said, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they said uh, back when World War II finished, 
And it was a war to end all wars, right? Nothing like that would ever happen on the continent of Europe again, right? And they put in NATO and they put in the United Nations and they made preparations that this was going to be it. That was a natural attempt to stop evil things from happening in this world. And look what happened. Now we see Russia has invaded Ukraine and all these things and all that stuff still continuing on and it's going to continue to go on because there's a spiritual element to it that nobody wants to pay attention to. So in chapter 2, let's read verses 1 and 2 to talk a little bit about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, and there's something that stood out to me as I was making these notes. There in verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We sing about amazing grace. A lot of people in a lot of religious circles, when you start talking about grace, somehow in their mind they think that that's something weak or it's something that doesn't have a lot of strength. But I've said it for a long time, and I still believe it. The grace of God is the greatest thing this world has ever seen. It's the most powerful thing this world has ever seen, the fact that God shed His grace upon mankind by sending His Son Jesus to that cross. Amen? Amen. Grace is a powerful thing, and he's telling Timothy here to be prepared for this battle that we face. Be strong in grace. See, it's easy just to people to mess up and get down on them and beat them up or throw them in jail or whatever. That Anybody can do that. Anybody can be hardcore, right? It's real easy. You break the rules, you're out of here, right? It's real easy. But it takes something strong to exhibit grace for people who need it. See, the Bible says that we need to remember that it was the goodness of God that what? Led us to repentance, right? I did things in my life that I was taught not to do. I did things in my life that I knew this Bible said, don't do it. But still one day, when I was down and out, I came to the Lord, and you know what He did? He forgave me. So be strong. One of the greatest things we can do to be prepared for this battle is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Because that's what it's going to take to change people's lives. Amen? You can't rehabilitate people, right? You can't take enough medicine to get certain problems out of people. It has to be the grace of God. Flood their soul and change them from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Verse 3. You therefore, we don't like this. This is another one of those Matthew chapter 5 type verses that we don't like to read, right? We want, to, we want this verse 3 to say, you therefore are going to have just everything go well working as a Christian. No. It says in verse 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. What's he telling us here? To be a good soldier, we have to be aware of how the kingdom of God works. It says there in verse 
uh, 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So when I face hardship as a Christian, I have to remember that I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So if I'm facing hardship on the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, I have to endure that patiently, don't I? But the American way is to kick and scream and throw bloody fits, right? We're being wronged. Shame on them, right? We don't like to be harmed in any way. We don't like people to talk about us. We don't like people to, to get in our business about anything. But the Bible says we will have to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's how the kingdom works. Let's look at these things. There's four things right there that that verse passage said. First is that we need to endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not kicking and screaming, demanding justice, but endure just like Jesus did. Jesus said, what? If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. But now, I'll be the first to admit, my flesh rejects that. No, I don't like that. No, don't want to hear it. Right? That's what our flesh does. I don't want to face hardship for the sake of Jesus Christ. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to say, yeah, that a boy, amen, that's right. But that's not what happens, is it? Endure like Jesus did. They persecuted him, they will persecute us. Amen. Also, secondly, we need to be encouraged in kingdom warfare. I mean, engaged, I'm sorry. Be engaged in kingdom warfare. Look at this in verse Four, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, I've never been in war, like a real war, like from the military. But what he's doing is he's given several examples here of a fact that if you were in a real war, in a foxhole somewhere fighting, and you were depending on other guys to help and fight, each, fight off the enemy, and then you find out two or three of them more concerned about what's going on back at home, are more concerned with something else that's going on, they're not going to be very effective to help you, are they? What he's saying is we need to be focused on the warfare that we're in. When somebody persecutes us for the gospel's sake, you know why? Because there's a battle going on. And they're trying to shut you down. Amen? So we have to endure that hardship. If we're more concerned about earthly things than we are about kingdom things, we'll be ineffective. Why does half of this country believe the complete opposite of what we believe? Every election that I can remember voting in. I graduated high school in 1995 and got to vote in the first presidential election of 1996. And every one that I've been a part of and remember, there's been a complete split in the country. It's about 50-50. And they believe completely opposite different things. Why is, it, why is that? It's because there's good and there's evil. Now, I'm not trying to say that all people that's ever voted for a Democrat's evil and all people that's voted for a Republican's good. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you see the division. So we have to understand that being engaged in kingdom warfare, we understand that earthly things are going to not go so good sometimes. We don't like that either. We don't like the fact of who's our president now, do we? I don't. I still think they pulled some shady stuff to get him in there. 
But I also think it should have never even been that close that they could pull anything shady, right? People who believe like they do, they should be like less than 1% of the country for the extreme things they do and the ungodliness that they stand for. That's just my opinion. So we got to be engaged in kingdom warfare. we got to be mindful that, yes, we're never going to get America perfect. We can get it better. Sure we can. If we got godly rulers, absolutely we can get it better. But it's never going to be perfect. Because when you're doing good on one side, there's always this other side that says, well, I don't like that. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. I want freedom. I want to do what I want to do, right? So there will always be that aspect of it. Thirdly, we need to live by the rules. Look there in, in verse 5. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He's given examples that we have to live by the rules that God set forth for this kingdom. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be persecution. We can't escape that. And if we try to get around that, we're disqualifying ourselves, right? Think about back in the 90s and early 2000s. There was a big scandal went on in Major League Baseball. Steroid use and all that kind of stuff. And now those guys have been found out and they won't let them in the Hall of Fame. They've been disqualified. Oh, you use performance-enhancing drugs. You can't do that. You know, and these guys were, I mean, these guys went from looking like normal people and then like a year or two, they looked like some kind of Hercules and they'd swing a baseball bat and it looked like it was a toothpick in their hand and they'd hit it plumb out of stadiums. I'm talking, I mean, these guys were amazing. But they, they didn't compete according to the rules. And when that was found out, they're now disqualified. So we don't want to disqualify ourselves but try not to not play by the rules that God set forth. What's that tell us as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Let us live by the rules. Let's live by the rules. Before we uh, go chastise everyone else for not living for the rules, tell them not to cheat, steal, and swindle, and lie, and all that, let's make sure we're not doing that as Christians, right? We have to play by the rules. That's what he's telling Timothy here. Timothy, you've got to play by the rules. You have to play by them also. And then fourthly, he gives the example of reaping the benefits of our labor, like how a farmer first feeds himself, then feeds others. What's he telling us there? Look at that in verse uh, 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. If this is the crops, who needs to be the first partaker? The minister. And then after that, the church, the people. And if we'll partake of it first, and it'll change us from the inside out, guess what? When we give it to someone else, it's going to be more likely it changes them from the inside out. But if I stand up here and say, you've got to accept Jesus or you're going to go to hell. People will accept Jesus for a little while, and when the fear wears off, guess where they'll be? They'll be running to the flea markets on Sunday. They'll be doing everything else but going to church because the fear wears away. But when you give them grace, hallelujah, that don't go away. Grace is what changes me on the inside, amen? And that's what we need to have it change us. Make sure that we've been changed by this grace. And that it hits us first, then we can give it to someone else. Amen? Amen. Verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the, seed of, of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. 
For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. What does He tell us there in a nutshell? To be accepting of hardships that come our way for the gospel's sake. He was living that life at that moment, wasn't he? Apostle Paul was. He was in prison. But he said, I, I, I gladly accept it. There's, and he wanted Paul, uh, Timothy to remember that there is no gospel that doesn't include the resurrection of Jesus. Some believe it, some don't, but it's the truth. Look how he worded it in verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Some people don't want to accept and believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, how do you know? How do you know? Because something called faith has made it as real to me as this thing I'm standing behind right here. And it's no different for all of us. I can't tell you I wasn't there. I didn't see him raised from the dead, but I know he's alive because he's as real to me as anything else in this world. Amen? And he said that is going to be one of the key points that people are going to persecute you about. Is You really believe that 2,000 years ago some Jewish guy rose from the dead and you expect that we're supposed to believe in him? That's, that's the mentality of the world, right? You really believe that? Paul's telling Timothy, you may have to go on without me, but this is essential. This is crucial to the gospel. Without that, there is no gospel. It's just a feel-good message, just a novel, just a story, right? Amen. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. In verse 15, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, <coughs> rightly dividing the word of truth. Hallelujah. Boy, don't we need that in the church world today. That's probably one of the greatest needs we have in the church world today is for its leaders, whomever they are and whatever organization they are, to rightly divide the word of truth and kick emotions out the door. Emotions change. You can feel good one minute and then feel terrible the next. Emotions are all over the place. But let us do what the Word says. Amen. And rightly divide it. Not with emotion, but with truth. So he's telling us to be diligent and correctly interpret the Scriptures. Understand their meaning and their context. Context, I'm sorry. And avoid silly disputes that only lead to more division. Do you believe that there are Christian brethren, organizations, and groups that spend more time arguing about well, now, is somebody really saved before they get baptized in water? or what, what's it? And they'll go round and round and round and argue with each other and have debates in public and on and on and on. When the Bible says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. The thief on the cross, he was guaranteed a place in heaven because why? He expressed faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's real simple. Now, if people want to believe, hey, yeah, such and such got baptized and they accepted Jesus, fine, whatever. But people can accept Him on their deathbed too. So I'm not arguing with people about that anymore. 
You want to be that old hardcore that said, no, there's no deathbed salvation? I say, I feel sorry for you because you're shutting the door to people that Jesus had opened. But I'm not going to argue with you about it anymore. That's what he's telling. Don't, don't get clogged up and bogged down in all these silly disputes that people comes up with. There's some people that believe that there was no trinity. It was just Jesus. That Jesus represents the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just simply ask him, well, who did he pray to? Is he praying to himself? No, he's praying to God the Father on the throne. That's why he said, my Father who art in heaven. It's real simple. I mean, it's real. But see, we can get clogged up uh, clogged up and bogged down in them kind of thing. He's saying, avoid all that mess. Just preach the gospel. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He came here and he lived a perfect life. He was killed and put on, put on a cross and died and raised the third day for our justification. It's really simple. Don't let it be too complicated. That's what he's saying here. Don't let it get so complicated that Christians are spending more time arguing with each other than we are telling the world that they can be saved. Amen. Verse 16. But shun profane, profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hamanius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There are people in this world supposed to be Christians. There are leaders of Christian organizations in this world who do not tell people that no, sin is unacceptable. Now we make mistakes and we mess up, but willfully just doing what we used to do in the world and having no remorse over it, having no conviction over it, they will not tell people that, hey, that means you need to get right with the Lord. That you need to turn your life around. You need to repent of those evil things that you're doing. Disregard people who teach that willful sin is acceptable. Also disregard people who teach inaccurate things about the end times. Teach what the Bible says concerning the end times with the proper interpretation. You and I know, and we've studied the Bible, most of us, we know the signs are in place. The Lord could return at any moment. But one thing, we, we don't know when He's coming. He told us that even the angels in heaven doesn't know that day. Only God in heaven knows that day. And when that day comes, it's going to come as a thief in the night. It's going to take people by surprise. This I do know. Jesus said, I'm going to come in a time you think not. Therefore, be ready. Be prepared for battle. Be doing what you're supposed to do and you don't have to worry about missing that day. You don't have to worry about the ship leaving without you. The plane won't take off without you going to heaven if you're doing what you're supposed to do and walking with God. Amen. Have nothing to worry about. Amen. Verses 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. What's he telling us here? Make a conscious decision to live the way God says to live. See, people do too much by feeling, by their emotions. Well, I feel like 
God won't be upset if I do this, or I feel like God wants me to do this. What does the Bible teach us to do? That's what matters. Amen? Amen. So make a conscious decision to live the way God says to. Cleanse ourselves from the stain of dishonor. There are things that we do in our life. Some people do. It brings dishonor upon them. Brings dishonor upon their family. Brings dishonor upon God. And he's saying, let's cleanse ourselves from that. Let's not live under the stain of dishonor, but let's do what the Lord says. Amen? Let us actively pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace in our lives. Look at it again. Verse 20. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. He's telling them that within the church there's going to be them kind of people. But he's saying this is what you need to be. Therefore, anyone who cleanses himself from the latter, meaning the ones that were dishonorable, will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let us actively pursue those things. And then God can use us. I'm not talking about being some kind of missionary and winning millions of souls to Jesus. I'm talking about in our very circle that we live in. We'll be effective. Amen? How many people do you know that have gotten saved later on in life and one of their and their a lot of their testimonies is this? Man, I knew this one person and they were solid. They lived for Christ day in, day out. When it came time to go to church, they went to church. Yeah, there's all kinds of sales going on and flea markets and all that kind of stuff. I wonder why people hold them on Sunday anyway. It's just a distraction. But for the people who live honorably before the Lord, they just make a conscious decision. Hey, Sunday, our church is open. We're going. We're going to go and honor God and we're going to learn something and then we're going to take that the rest of that week and we're going to apply it to our life. Amen? That's what he's telling Timothy here. Be prepared for these battles we face. You never know. I got to thinking about, as I mentioned there a while ago, what I didn't say, and I feel like I should say it now, at that same baptismal service was our brother James, who's gone on to be with the Lord now. We were there, and his wife had come. She wanted to be baptized, and, and he was worried about, he had a heart condition and all kind of things, and he was worried about getting in that cold water, and he was really concerned. And when he seen his wife go down in the water and come out, I turned around, and I looked, and here he comes. I'm going in. Who knew that a year later he'd go on home? This was a man whose background was very different from ours as well. He had a church background, but it was a very extreme church background. People who handle snakes and things like that. He told me about it. He said, and it messed me up. And he said, I went to Vietnam, and he said, and I did things there that I wasn't proud of, and I knew the Bible spoke against. But he was saved. That's how we have to be prepared for battle. Is when those kinds of people like Brother James comes along and he says, I want to I get saved, but I don't know if the Lord will accept me. You have to be strong in the grace which is in Jesus Christ. Say, yes, he will. Yes, he will. There's no sin you can commit that he can't forgive you of. Amen? 
Amen. Praise the Lord. And in verse 22, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What is a youthful lust? A lot of talk about that, but I just simply look at it this way. It's, let's not do immature things. When we're young, we do a lot of immature things, right? He's saying, let's not do that as Christians. Let's not be immature. Let's be grown-ups. Let's be solid. Let's be the people we're supposed to be. I get tickled at these kids in school. With, and uh, uh, yeah, like I said, I, working for the school system, I get to see it a lot. You know, they get up in high school and now they're the, they're the big fish in the little pond, right? And they walk around, these boys, I see, man, they're just so cool that they can't even hardly walk. I mean, they just, you know. And I was like that too. Five, ten years later, you see them. They got kids of their own. They go to work every day. And all that stuff's a distant memory. Now their money gets spent on clothes and homes and all that kind of stuff. They've grown up, in other words. They're not immature anymore. And that's what the Bible's exhorting us here in this verse. Let's be mature Christians. Let's pursue peace and love and faith and righteousness. Put away those things that are dishonorable. And in verses 23 to 26, as we finish out the lesson, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and in humility correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So many people have been taken captive by the devil. That's why it takes us having grace and humility that hopefully they'll come to their senses. Right? So in humility, use humility when correcting or instructing others. Understand that getting uh, involved in foolish and ignorant disputes only causes more strife. The gospel is very simple. We don't need to make it complicated. And if somebody wants to argue and try to get it really complicated, just don't get involved in that mess. Amen? So many people have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. I was thinking the other day, a friend of mine, a guy I work with, we were talking. And this fellow that went in that school and shot up those kids the other day, he needed the Lord in his life. They talk about mental illness and this, that, and the other. There, there may be an aspect to that. I don't know. But I do know this. When the Lord is in your life and you've accepted him, you won't do those kind of things. He was taken captive by the devil and then carried out the will of the devil here on this earth. That's why it's crucial that we spread the gospel as many as we can to stop all the evil in this world. We're going to talk next week about the evil's just going to get worse and worse as time goes on. And you're seeing it now. Go into, an, go into a place you know that there's people unarmed and and shoot what? Children. Look at the amount of uh, people who get abortions late term. 
when a child's about ready to be born. What, how barbaric and ruthless can you get? People have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Shameful, very shameful. But for you and I, our only tool to counteract this, this is to speak the truth to them. Hey, I don't care how good you think you are, the Bible says that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. That's the truth. And if you've committed sins, He will forgive you, but you have to accept Him. That's the truth. That's what's going to change people's hearts. Not just lectures, not just whatever man tries to do to do it, but the gospel, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit coming to indwell them is the only thing that's going to change them. That's our only tool we have. Speak the truth to them. Humbly explain the gospel and God's grace in it with the prayerful hope that these people will come to their senses before it's too late. Amen. May you and I, as we close today, may we adhere to these words. Let us be prepared for kingdom work. And may we prepare ourselves for battle with the weapons of humility, honor, truth, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And may we become more like Christ and let go of more of ourselves. And let us decide today that we will be prepared for this battle that we're in. We want to talk next week about some of the signs of the last days. Like I said, we don't know how close it is, but we know it's closer than it's ever been. And the Lord is speaking to us today like He spoke to Timothy here. Be ready for that. Be prepared for that so that we can tell this one about Jesus and we can show grace to this one and we can be humble with this one and we can help people see their need for Jesus. Amen? Because that's what's going to change their life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've given the words which you gave us today. These words were written down and inspired for Paul to give to Timothy. Lord, we don't know what the future holds here. Even for this group here, we, we have no idea. We've lost loved ones here that we, that we thought would be with us much longer, but they're gone now. In another year's time, we don't know what may take place. But Lord, while we do have this time and while we do have this opportunity, let us all who hear my voice today be prepared for this battle which we're in. Lord, we know your return is imminent. We know that it could come very soon. So Lord, help us be prepared with the things that were, Timothy was exhorted here to be prepared with. Let us pursue righteousness and love and faith and peace. Help us avoid any dishonor upon ourselves or upon you more than anything. Let us uh, refrain from that. So Father, I pray for each and every person today. Let us make all conscious, all make conscious decisions today that we're going to be prepared to share the gospel with others and to live our lives in front of them, knowing that they're watching. Many of those, Lord, may be waiting for us to make a mistake, but let us live our lives with such a grace that we, they would know, even if we do make a mistake, that we're still loved by the Master. The Lord, help us today as we go forward and be prepared for this battle. Lord, we know that if we can spend hours and hours praying and hours and hours reading, but if nothing ever changes on the inside of us, that we're of no value to you in this kingdom work. Lord, let us be changed from the inside out continually that we may share the gospel and the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ in it. 
with others, Father. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Give us the courage, Lord, to speak to those that we may need to speak to and share the gospel with them. They may be primed and ready to accept Jesus, and we just don't know it yet. So, Father, we pray you lead us and guide us in all these things. And I pray, God, that you keep each and every person safe until the next appointed time we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.